Okay, welcome back to the second episode of How I Positioned That, the product positioning mini-series right here on the Product Marketing Experts podcast. Last week, I had Christy Roach from Airtable on the show, and I admitted I've actually never used Airtable before. Well, this week, it's a little bit different. I have Tamira Neeson from Shopify. And a little bit about me, I run brand and product marketing for Privy, and we're a huge partner of Shopify. And if you don't know Shopify well, it's one of those products that you've probably used their technology before and you don't even know it. Shopify is one of the biggest e-commerce platforms in the world. Millions of merchants around the world have built their online store with Shopify. If you've bought anything online that wasn't on Amazon, it was likely a store built on Shopify. Now, obviously it was really cool to talk to someone in MySpace, but it was a great conversation and I know you'll enjoy it because Tamira had a lot to share with me about their approach to product positioning, especially for such a large team serving a very fast growing industry. We talked a lot about the logistics of product positioning, the management of your company's story, having multiple solutions and serving different audiences. For instance, Shopify has a product called Shopify Plus that's designed for larger merchants than their staple product, which really serves SMBs. It was fun to dig in with Tamara. Now, before we begin this episode, special thank you to Sharebird for producing this episode and all episodes of the miniseries. Sharebird is a peer mentoring platform for product marketers. It's the place to discover on-demand resources to help you with product marketing. And if you have any feedback on this episode or any episode, things you like, things you want to hear more about, guest suggestions, please email podcast at sharebird.com. All right, without further ado, let's go. Samir, thanks so much for, for joining today. Really excited to chat with you about positioning. My first question, really straightforward, how do you define positioning? There are so many long answers to this, but the best way that I think I can position positioning is to reference what maybe a consumer or a customer might see in the market. So when you as a consumer might see a product, interact with it, be marketed to from that company, you have a very clear understanding immediately what that product does, why it might be better than, let's say, a competitor or something else that you may have experienced before that it doesn't even feel related. But then it also applies the context of the world that that target market might might be living in physically or culturally market conditions, things that might be happening in the world. And I think it's very well, clear and there's no confusion. I love that because it's about what the customer perceives it. I also love what you're talking about with being local elements or digital elements. So the one thing that's really interesting about having this conversation with you right now is that you just changed positions from focusing on a Shopify plus to focusing on Shopify as a whole. So maybe we could start with, I'd love to hear about what is Shopify and what is Shopify plus, And then what is the distinction between those two things? So Shopify is the all-in-one e-commerce platform where you can start, grow, or thrive, or your business can thrive on. The intention of our platform is to make commerce better for everyone, from a consumer, a buyer, to an entrepreneur, for merchants, and for the largest retail brands in the world. And the difference between Shopify and Shopify Plus, Shopify was originally built for entrepreneurs so that people could start a business, seek independence, and grow their business online. And what we found were that more and more merchants 
students were coming to Shopify and wanted to grow their business, but then we had bigger brands coming and pulling us up market. And so out of that was born Shopify Plus and Shopify Plus is the platform for larger growing brands, including some of the largest brands in the world. And so that would be the biggest distinction. So we have a wide range of customers from people who have never managed a business before, who are starting up a business, maybe out of their basement to companies that have hundreds of people working for them in locations around the world. Yeah. And I think what would be really interesting to, to dig into just maybe a little bit is, so Shopify started for entrepreneurs, SMB play. What was it like trying to launch a Shopify, an enterprise arm to Shopify and grow in Shopify? Because Shopify Plus is, is a huge success at this point. I know you guys have done, I think your merchants have done like $230 billion in sales on Shopify Plus. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about the journey of like repositioning Shopify for the enterprise. It actually has been an ongoing exercise, not one that, you know, I, I started, I joined the company a little bit later on, but because your positioning isn't always on exercise and it evolves as the market evolves, as your product evolves as well, and as our customers evolve. So we've been working on this on an annual cadence. And I think that the biggest thing for us was understanding why are merchants coming to us? What is the value that we offer? And let's lean into that. What, how does that differ compared to our competitors? What is the, the one thing that customers absolutely love about us? And so we've dug into that. We partner with our customers. We spend a lot of time with them understanding this. We listen. And one of the things that I'm really proud of in working at, at Shopify is that we are customer obsessed. We are merchant obsessed. You can see on my microphone here, obviously we're not on video, but I've got a few stickers that says we're merchant obsessed and we leave with that. And so everything that we do needs to solve a problem for them. It needs to make their life easier. We want to make commerce better for everyone and make it as easy as possible. And so we tap into that to understand what it means to be able to do that. And so if we lead with that, everything else will follow. And if it's not the right thing to do for the customer, if it's not something that does make their life better in all of them, then maybe we should be rethinking it. When it comes to positioning for you or your team working on positioning, are there any frameworks that you use or is there a process you use to compose your positioning? Yes. If we're talking about for a net new product, we have some frameworks and templates, but one of the easiest things to get our product teams on board with is what does this look like in a press release? If you're thinking about this idea, let's write that out. Let's write out the press release right now before you even create it so that you can lead with what will this end up looking like in the market? What do I want people to feel or know or experience? How will I make that person's life or that organization's life better or easier by launching this? And if we start there, then we can work backwards and always keep that as the North Star. In terms of the actual frameworks, we have positioning exercises that we walk through. We partner with our product teams, our product marketing teams to do this and focus on really that customer piece. What do customers love about us? Relevance. Yeah. And at that press release stage, when you're writing that press release with the product team, where are you at in product development? How early on is that in the process of planning your go-to-market for something new? So we have a framework that we use in terms of development and the first stage is really think and then followed by explore. So in those two moments, you're gathering context, you're trying to understand what is the problem set, who are the target markets that you're thinking of. And in that time, that's when you should be doing it as early as possible so that it can guide you down the right path. And then later in that process, when you do launch, let's say we're focusing on you're launching something new, maybe it's a big feature or a new segment or something. How do you know when your positioning is ready to ship? How do you know when it's past sort of whatever test needs to pass and is ready for launch? 
It's a good question. A tough one because you don't know that it's ready until you've tried it. So I think that you have to be prepared to get to the best stage, test it out, run it by your trusted customers, have those conversations, do the research, but then put it out into the ecosystem and watch it and test it and making sure that it's actually resonating. And that can be, there's so many indicators to that. If you're having churn, that's an indicator. If your sales process is taking longer than normal, then that is an indicator. And so having those checks and balances and making sure that you go back and revisit and adjust. Yeah, I think this is probably one of the toughest areas to navigate in product marketing when it comes to positioning is like knowing and getting that feeling. I've always found it's a combination of the biggest thing is getting it in front of people, your sales team, your customers, customer success team, your product managers, people that are interfacing with the customer on a regular basis and getting their feedback. And then you get to a point where you just have this gut feeling, right? Of, okay, this is ready to go. It's tough because there's, like you said, there's a bunch of indicators, but there's no metric. A lot of things in product marketing, there's no clear, this is ready, green light, let's go. This is an area where I've always struggled a little bit. So I like that. You're looking for a lot of different indicators from across the go-to-market team, working with your product team, getting those signals, and then hopefully feeling confident enough that you're ready to launch. Okay. So let's talk about after you've launched something new, you have brand new positioning, something new, how do you know when it's working? And are there ways to understand how it's helping your business grow? How do you match, especially in your role where you have a team of product marketers and you've got to make sure the stuff that you're working on is helping the business grow. How do you look for that and identify it? If you think about awareness or, or acquisition, that might be a little bit easier from an indicate in, you know, leading indicator is when you can do A-B testing with like digital performance or mm. digital ads, let's say, or in creative. And we've done in past lives and today tests where you might try a product-led message in one market versus maybe a platform or thought leadership message in another and comparing the two and trying both out. So you can actually measure that and see, okay, this is generating more leads. Therefore it is more successful. It's resonating better clearly for all these reasons. And then in terms of when you're launching a new feature or product, let's say to your current customer base, it's a little bit easier because you can measure adoption metrics. So if you have a SaaS product and merchants are adopting it, that is your indicator. It is clearly working. If adoption is low, well, why? It's clearly not offering the value. They don't understand it. Or in some cases, we've even had challenges where adoption was really high, but engagement was low. So digging into that to understand what was it? And in some cases, we may have said, this is something that allows you to free up time. You can set this thing up and forget it and your life will be easier. Well, people tried it but then weren't using it. So digging into it, realized it wasn't actually that easy to set up. So how can we make it easier for people to understand how to do this and digging into that and then providing those tools and then tracking adoption from there. So positioning is so many things, but then trying to dig into the problem set beyond that can actually uncover a lot of things. So the active or art of positioning in general is so important in every aspect of the product lifecycle. Yeah, I love how easy just the idea of doing A-B testing with positioning once you've gone to market. I have to admit, I don't think I've done a lot of A-B testing when it comes to my positioning for new things. And I think especially nowadays with advertising and our merchants, e-commerce merchants do this all the time. They're going out there and A-B testing different products and they're probably testing their positioning too. A lot of D2C brands got their roots just going out there and doing some A-B testing and figuring out which products with which colors, which variations, whatever it is. And so that's a really good tip for getting started. Adoption also, especially in a product-led growth model, another really good piece of feedback for where to focus and, and how to really understand how 
your positioning is, is impacting the business and helping it grow. So I love that. That's really helpful. How do you keep new features and products organized? So we, we talked about one specific, or we talked about maybe a feature launch or something new that you're launching. How do you keep all of those new things that you're launching and the positioning you're writing, how do you keep that organized with like a larger positioning framework? So Shopify, it's a platform to help e-commerce businesses grow. How do you keep these, like, is there a master document somewhere or something? Is it just an ongoing conversation? How do you keep everything organized when you're launching new stuff constantly? It's complicated for sure. We have a ton of product workers, thousands of people building products every single day. It is absolutely complicated. So I think we have a few different frameworks that we need to make sure we are consistent on, which is identifying the audience, the positioning and the messaging, the problems that it solves, and then how this rolls up into a solution. Because if you take all of these smaller products, what they roll up into is a solution or a platform. And when we think about solutions, this is one of the easier ways to position our products because we can go to the market and say, here's how we solve this problem. This is our solution to the pain that you are feeling. And it will be potentially composed of multiple products. In commerce in general, there are millions of products that we need to create to solve this global online platform and make it better for everyone. And it's evolving and it's happening rapidly. And so sometimes you're creating things that people have never used before. And so what we have to be able to do is understand what that is, how we communicate it. And then it becomes like a layering process in a way as well, because we don't always have just one audience that that product can help solve for. So we have to take those and be very intentional about, okay, when we're speaking to this audience, this is the suite of products or solutions that we want to be able to speak to. And here's how we speak to them. And then we look at even within plus we have multiple segments and our platform solves different things for different segments. So being really articulate about what those problem sets are and how we solve them. And so some of them might be how fast can I get up and running? Or it can be, how can you integrate with these other systems that I might have? How can I have the fastest experience? for my buyers so that they can check out? How can I attract more buyers? There's a billion problem sets and depending on who you're targeting, that's what you need to lean into. Now, is your product marketing team organized by solutions? And so is that one way of organizing those solutions within the larger sort of product story? Or how is the team organized to basically approach that? The quickest answer would be to say solutions, I would say. It does vary. There's product groups, there's product lines, and then bulking those into solutions does make it a little bit easier because at the end of the day, to have a one-to-one product marketing manager to every product, we would have thousands of people. So we do have to group things and, and doing it by solutions has been a really efficient way to go about it and also creates unified messaging and, and going to market plans. And then so for that team, how does the team organize? Like, How does the team stay on message for their different solutions? Is it basically, I'm looking for a little more mechanics, I guess. Is it meetings? Is it a master document? Is it you just constantly working with them and making sure they know there are certain areas? How do you basically run the orchestra, right? Because that's essentially what it is. Everybody has a different instrument to play and it has to work if, if you're going to get positioning right and get all these positioning for all these solutions, right? How do you organize the team to do that? I would say in some ways it is through our product brands and our audiences. So with Plus, we have a team dedicated to positioning that platform, all of those products and Mm -hmm. tailoring to that audience. And same with our retail audience and then our entrepreneur audience. And so the mastery or master plan, I guess, comes from a messaging hierarchy. It is a master doc and it is complicated and it is difficult to keep updated because it's evolving every single day. But the core of what we do in the problems that we solve, they remain the same. They just evolve over time. And so we can update that. But to get into the specifics of how to orchestrate all of that is we need a whole other episode. 
<laughs> okay. But there's a massive dock. We are a product group. Multiple, yeah, you know. yeah, totally. No, that's helpful because I think a lot of product marketers, when they're, they're scaling up their team and they're thinking about how to organize the team, organizing around solutions and, and thinking about positioning and, and how really a different product marketer can own a different vertical or a solution or a product. And that is an effective way of organizing the team because they can go really deep on that so long as you as the manager of the product marketing team have the oversight, you have that bigger story, you make sure the story is represented within each of those product groups or solutions or, or products. That's a really important piece to it. Well, and I think that as an organization evolves and I've had a couple of conversations with people about this and I dug around myself because it wasn't yeah. something that was readily available in terms of being researched. Like how do you actually structure a team as a business evolves, as products are added, as segments and different markets, industries and verticals, all these things. How do you actually structure the teams when you have so much? And we do have to evolve. And traditionally, like in a startup, at least in my experience, is the product marketer is kind of the catch-all. They're doing everything. Their role is so broad. And as you evolve, you have to become more laser focused. So you do need folks that are dedicated to geographies, to audiences and segments, and then to products. And then creating that orchestra, if you will, is a complicated one. But if these folks, some of them can be laser focused on more upstream activities and more downstream, and that's kind of what my team will focus on going forward is, you know, we'll be the go-to-market arm to the product marketers and our teams will, will work in a very collaborative partnership. One will inform market insights and trends and the channels that we can surface all of these products products on and the others focusing on the positioning, the ideal customer profile, digging into why is this product not being adopted or what is the opportunity and how should we evolve going forward based on customer insights and then marrying the two to bring them to market. All right. So for my next mini series, I'm going into product marketing teams and you're going to come back and we're going to go deeper on this. Because This is a whole other, I agree. I've done the research too, right? I'm trying to, and it's not readily available. And I think it would be an amazing topic to go deeper on. To go a little bit back to positioning, I'd love to hear in that, I think you called it the think stage of working with the product team and and planning a go-to-market event. How do you research when it comes to positioning? What are the activities or what is your team's activities? What do they do to research when they're writing their positioning? positioning. So reading industry reports, diving into our customer base, win-loss reports are really big. Understanding what is working, what adoption rates are with maybe the current in-life product or looking into how a competitor speaks to this. I think there's a slew of things that can be readily available. And if you have resources, then tapping into maybe a competitive intelligence team that you might work with or market insights team, if your company has that available or potentially working with an agency. But I think that if you need to be a little bit more more scrappy and resourceful, then it's leaning into the tools that you have at your disposal. And I think the first place to go there is to talk to your customers. I think that's the most important thing you can do. And I know a lot of people talk about this, but if you aren't speaking to a customer two or three times a month, then do you truly understand what a customer needs? And is your team getting on calls, like live calls to customers? Are they listening to call recordings? Are they exchanging emails? What does that actually look like? comes in multiple forms. So definitely speaking to customers directly. When the opportunity comes up, we do merchant engagement sessions and we bring merchants together to talk amongst themselves about the challenges they're facing, or we'll bring products to to talk about and have conversations and get feedback. And so our teams are part of that. But then we also have the opportunity to speak to our customer success managers and our sales teams and listen to those gong calls as well. So I think whether it's speaking directly or indirectly, yes, they absolutely are. Do you think there's a difference in outcome between speaking directly and indirectly? Oh, absolutely. I'll give you... Yeah, and I'll give you an example. I don't talk to our customers directly a lot. I listen to a lot of calls. I talk to our sales team. I talk to our customer success team a lot. What are the things that I might be missing out on from not talking to them directly? 
So I, I think what you miss when you do this game of telephone, if you will, is you lack the empathy that you need to hear in a customer's voice, what you either are helping or not helping with. You need to hear it directly from them. Maybe a pain that exists or the challenges that they might face. You need to hear that straight from them because that will create the empathy that you need and maybe even the conviction that you need to go and partner with the product teams to influence roadmap and bring that advocacy in a next level of passion, really. Because that's, I mean, if you're not doing that, then what are you here for? Totally. All right. I'm going to go schedule some calls. I do think <laughs> my team does do that, but I feel like I've used Gong as a crutch a little bit to just listen in. And I do. And I think because it's a natural conversation, I always think, oh, you know, that makes it better. It's between, it's an actual sales conversation that makes it better, but I think I'm going to make it a priority to, to talk directly and, and ask the, my questions directly to our customers. Yeah. Um, I better walk the walk and go schedule a few myself. Yeah. Right <laughs> yeah your team's going to listen to this and they're going to say, Hey, wait a minute. Have you ever, I just have a couple more questions. This is sort of the last bigger question. And then I have a couple, I'll call it logistical questions. Have you ever launched something and you had new positioning for it and you realized that, that positioning was failing? And how do you get a level deeper? How do you know when positioning has failed in a launch? Have I? Absolutely. And not necessarily because it was failed positioning, but perhaps the market wasn't ready for it or it was poor timing. And that's where the context yeah. really comes into play. Like we're in a pandemic right now. Is that the right time to go and launch something that relies on in-person interaction? Probably not. So having to, to hold back on those, but being really aware of it or seeing you launch something in the ecosystem that maybe is untimely, well, it's going to fall flat. And so having the wherewithal to understand the whys is really important. But in terms of when you know it has failed, we talked earlier about the adoption pieces and those are like really quick feedback loops and digging into the why it may have failed. But then the later indicators would be churn. So if your customers are leaving or they're not using our product, is it because they don't understand it? And if they do understand it, but they're churning, then what is the gap there? Is that they don't appreciate the value? Is your positioning not lined up with the value that you offer to them? Like you might think that it's incredibly valuable. You're solving the world's problems, but if customers are leaving, then they don't think so. And so you need to definitely reevaluate your positioning or they might not understand it altogether. I've had some work that I've done on the side where people have said, Hey, can you look at this? I'm trying to drive adoption. And the first question that sometimes I come with is I don't really get what you do. And I think you have a positioning problem. And if you actually reevaluate this, what you actually have to offer is incredible, but I didn't understand it from the get-go. And that is a really big problem. So diving into why. And to understand that why, what better way than get on a call with the customer and go deep with them and understand. I think you can recognize some of that in calls with your CS team or support calls or support tickets and churn notes and stuff like that. But it, it does take going pretty deep with your customers to really understand their why and, and, and where their hangups are. So that's really helpful. Okay, I'm gonna call this the power round. First one is what's the one book a product marketer must buy if they're gonna own positioning for their company? You're gonna hold it up. Yeah. April Dunford's obviously awesome. How to nail product positioning so customers get it, buy it, love it. And if you're a product marketer and you haven't, actually, she was on this podcast with Marcus Andrews not too long ago. So if you haven't gotten this book at this point, here's one more reminder. Obviously Awesome by April Dunford. It is a obviously awesome book. And we were just talking about this. One of like the few modern positioning books. And one of the inspirations for me to do this miniseries was talking to product marketing leaders that are doing product marketing and positioning today, because there's not as many positioning books. Most of them are talking about Fortune 500 companies from the 80s and the 70s, and it's not quite <laughs> as relevant to what we're all experiencing today. 
Okay, and I know we said this was rapid fire, but I need to go on a bit about this because you asked what frameworks we use. We built yeah. a positioning workshop based on this book. Okay. Gabriel is incredible. I'm a huge fan. She's amazing to work with. And I mean, obviously she's also hilarious, but this is actually a guide of how to do this. And so, yes. you know, I can say how to do these things, but really I'm just taking it from this book. Okay, so they're even more helpful. Go get this book and then take her framework and implement it. Okay, last question in the rapid fire. Rapid fire is two questions. Maybe I need to come up with some more. The second question is, what product marketing leader would you recommend to have on this mini series about positioning? Someone who I've reached out to just because I've read some blogs and really liked the way that she thought about product marketing is Lindsay Bayak. And I don't actually know her very well. We've had a few conversations, but okay. I think she's pretty stellar in terms of what she's accomplished in product marketing and the way that she views the craft. Awesome. Lindsay, if you're listening, hopefully you are. Let's schedule some time. Let's have a conversation because I'd love to hear from you as well. Yeah. <laughs> Samira, thank you so much for taking the time today. This has been an awesome conversation. I hope you have a great rest of your week and good luck on scheduling those calls with those customers. I'm going to do the same. We'll hold each other accountable. All right. I'll be following up with you. Thank you for having me. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Tamira from Shopify. Next week, we will be back for episode three with Lindsay Bayok, the CMO of Pluralsight. So make sure you subscribe. Also, if you're loving the podcast, we'd love for you to write us a review. Reviews mean a lot to us. And I just want to give a special thanks again to Sharebird for producing this episode. All right. See you next week.